Hi, anyone and everyone. Welcome to Have You Heard About This Case. My name is Sam. And my name is Kelly. I'm bringing you a case today that had been cold for so long, it seemed like it would never be solved. The public accused multiple parties of conspiring to cover up the death of Irene Garza, who we will be discussing today. Some would have preferred to bury Irene's story, but the solid foundation of her family, good law enforcement officers, and good litigators would not allow her to be forgotten. I'll tell you all about it, but first, Sam, what is the question today? My question is, what was your first tattoo? My first tattoo. Oh, girl, you're going to make me emotional. My first tattoo I got when I was 18 years old and like the minute I turned 18 because I had told my family before I was 18 that I was going to get a whole bunch of tattoos and they were like, we hate that. (laughs) And that's fair. But (laughs) my first tattoo is the symbols on the cover of Led Zeppelin 3 that each band member picked out to represent themselves. It's on my hip. So when you have really tight, flattering stomach from doing belly dance classes, it looks great. And now it's there. (laughs) And also, my dad did not want me to get this tattoo, and yet he paid for it. Didn't you two have a deal or something that... He would pay for it. There was a deal made. The deal made. He paid for the tattoo. But the deal that was made, that he tried to be struck between the nations of Kelly and her dad was, if I got one tattoo, and that was my only tattoo, he would get a tattoo with me. As long as I (laughs) never got another tattoo. And that's funny. I told him I can't promise you that. So I didn't because also my dad fully did promise my Irish Catholic grandmother that he would never get a tattoo because she said that if he <laughs> came home with one, she would rip it off his arm. And I'm like, oh, no, I know. I was like, I'm not making you break a promise like that. <sighs> that's really funny. Like, that's not scary. Right? That sounds very scary. Uh, My first tattoo is a set of skylines that I have for cities I have called home. Mm. Um, So I have Chicago, London, and Florence. And it took me two years to ever decide I was even going to get a tattoo. Mm -hmm. And I got it when I was 25. And it it took a lot of convincing that I actually wanted a tattoo. And now (laughs) uh, I'm addicted. Uh, yes you're you're one of the ones that people say we corrupt i was just a weirdo (laughs) i was a weirdo kid too because i was always telling my parents like i'm gonna get these tattoos and i ended up doing it because i was just a weirdo kid see i i always loved them i just couldn't i didn't know if i'd want something for the rest of my life and I just kind of always assumed that was going to be the case. I, I was going to say, there's always like a camp, though, of people who are smarter that fall into that I'm going to lay in wait category. 
But I also, it took me two years to be like, yes, I want this. And then a month after I got it, I got my second tattoo. Exactly. You laid in wait and then you were like, <laughs> I know what I want and it's possible. Yeah. And I love it. It's still like, I look at it all the time and it just brings back a lot of really good memories. And that that's why I got it. Yeah. I love my tattoos. I do. Yeah. I, I don't regret any of mine. They make me very happy. My family does not like my tattoos. <laughs> Sorry, mom. I feel very lucky that my Sorry, parents Dad. are very tattooed. They're both fairly heavily tattooed. Yeah, your parents are your parents are pretty covered. Yeah, they're they they've decided they love tattoos in their fifties, but they've gotten a lot in the last handful of years, and my. But my dad's working, almost done with a sleeve. My mom's about almost half a sleeve. I so love, I love it. They're getting there. I love it. Okay, so are we ready to hear a tale today? Yes. Okay. In order to talk about Irene, I need to make it clear i have to address a big elephant in the room in this case this being the catholic church i have complicated feelings about it but i will share that a lot of my family is very much catholic and my dear grandmother would roll in her grave if i said the wrong thing as we kind of established with our tattoos correct so I'm just going to try to report what happened here and what way the church was involved. I'm trying to keep my opinion about it unbiased, but I felt the urge to tell you all, I've been to Catholic Mass, I have been to Catholic Communion, and I understand the joy and the comfort that Catholicism brings. And I do not intend to denigrate anyone's religion, and I encourage you to find any spirituality that brings you comfort, even if it's no religion at all. I think that's well said, because I think you and I both can relate to seeing how religion can bring people together and provide a lot of happiness mm -hmm. for people and a community. Absolutely. But there's also, you can't ignore the fact that the Catholic Church, and along with many others, are... In the news, for it's not great things. Right. And what I tried to do here was emphasize that some of what you're going to be hearing is historical evidence from the Catholic Church, like things that happened earlier on. You know, I try to acknowledge where it's facts that are reported. It's just that you know, the timeline of when it was acknowledged. Yeah. So, like I said before, though, to talk about Irene Garza is to talk about the Catholic Church. She was said by everyone to be very devout and never miss church. She found great comfort in the congregation, and she was a known member there that other parishioners knew. She found community and solace there she was also noticed in the congregation due to her great beauty and it's true we'll share a picture she's beautiful 
Before Irene became a beautiful, devout woman, she was born to Nicholas and Josefina Garza, who owned a dry cleaning business in McAllen, Texas. It was located in the southern region on a border known as the Rio Grande Valley, which I've heard of before, but I've never been to. Have you ever been around that way, Sam? No, I have been to Texas before, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I haven't been that far south. Okay. I was in San Antonio and San Marcos when I went. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense because we'll see here with the Garzas that they're in this area known as the Rio Grande Valley, but as a teenager, her parents' business takes off. And it's doing so well that they move from this border area to a more affluent area of McAllen, Texas. So, yeah, that kind of shows that, like, they wanted to be away from the border as well. Mm -hmm. Irene graduated from McAllen High School, and she was the first Mexican-American to perform as a twirler and then as head drum majorette. Oh, that's cool. She sounds just so fun and full of life. And I remember my friends in the band being twirlers. And I love that she didn't let anything stop her. She's just like brave and confident to go up there and be like, yeah, I'm about to be the first one because watch me twirl this baton. Like that is. Right. That's. I love that. I I love it. And. Irene chose to become a second grade teacher where she was universally known to be, quote, beloved. And Irene specifically chose to work with McAllen's poorest students. And according to Linda de la Vina, Irene's cousin, in testimony, she said this, that Irene would often use part of her salary to buy the children in her classes school supplies or the things that they needed. Oh, that's so sweet. Like, I, I wish that this is a bigger conversation of buying school supplies. Exactly. But the fact that the willingness is there and the desire is there is is a big thing. It's. I think it's beautiful that she did that. And I agree that it's a larger conversation. And I just love that she was ready to do that for a child. Exactly, yeah. You know, that's what makes, like, a great educator. And as I said, Irene was considered gorgeous, and she was also intelligent. And she was winning awards as a beauty queen. Irene was crowned the 1958 Miss All South Texas Sweetheart, and she was also homecoming queen at Pan American College. Oh, wow. Yeah. I struggled a bit with the beauty pageant names because they're always so long and fancy. But yes, she was she was the winner in 1958. It's awesome. Not only was Irene beautiful, the community also saw her as the warm, happy person she was. Linda de la Vina, who I can't commend enough, she is a huge reason this case stayed visible. And again, she's Irene's cousin. She remembers that Irene was just so generous with her family. 
And though Linda was just nine years old, she still remembers their last conversation and how she jumped up and down seeing that Irene had brought them Easter baskets. De Lavinia said, quote, we just knew she would not have forgotten us. Oh, that, that's so sweet and heartbreaking at the same time. I know. I know. It's, it, it, it's tough. It gets, it gets a little tough. Prior to Irene's disappearance, she had written a letter to a friend where she described herself as extremely shy, but expressed that she felt fulfillment in her work. I love writing letters, even though it feels like their time as communication has passed. It just makes me think of Irene at her desk writing to her friend, just like I do, like when I sit down with my pen and I get ready, you know. And I just, reading this really made me feel like a connection with Irene. Yeah, definitely. And it's been a long time since I've written a letter, but... I do remember as a kid sitting down and, and writing letters to my friends after I moved or to we were write letters to my great grandparents. Mm-hmm. And that was always like a special thing. I, I actually write several letters. I write to my aunt. I write to my grandmother. I just know people like to get mail and I like to correspond. I like to write. Yeah, I love that. And... I just, yeah, like I said, I just felt like she was so relatable. And in her letter to her friend, she went on to note that she had recently become secretary of her parent-teacher association and that she was beginning to feel more confident in herself. She was just 25 years old and trying to find herself. Oh, wow. So young still. So young. 25. I understand this feeling so much, and I think we all do. We go through these growing pains of of learning who we are, and Irene deserved the time to find that, to, like, find herself. She was so committed to her job and branching out and taking new opportunities, and it's so sad. She had so much more life to live. Yeah, and and what year is this? This is 1960. Okay, so, like, 25 in 1960 is very different than 25 nowadays. Mm -hmm. But it it still is incredibly young. Incredibly. A lot of 25-year-olds at that point were in their careers. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like she was in her career and working to continue to move up it. And that's such a big thing. In 1960 or today. I agree. I agree. I think that she was, because they literally noted that she was branching out and taking these new opportunities. And I truly think that it's because she had intentions of growing in her position, which is just something I think we can all relate to as being people who are hustling, hustling, looking at jobs sometimes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, Irene was a member of the Legion of Mary. And this is an international association of members of the Catholic Church who serve the institution on a voluntary basis. In the same letter to her friend that we've been discussing, Irene indicated that she found comfort in attending daily Mass and Communion. And 
again, I think that's so wonderful. She found an outlet that she loved and she did everything she could to work to make it better. I'm, I'm not religious so much, but I can tell it had a profound importance to Irene. And I'm glad that it brought her that measure of comfort serving the church and thus her community. Yeah, absolutely. It, like, like we said earlier, it's not that it's specifically the Catholic Church. It can be any religion mm-hmm. that has that ability to give you that comfort and community. And to me, as I am a non-religious person, but I think that's really important. Agree. And I think that if that's where you find it, that's great. Exactly. I think if that's where you found what made you want to be better, keep keep going. Whatever just whatever spirituality it is, follow it and go out there into the world and don't harm anybody. Like that's all I'm looking for as far as your religion goes. Agreed. And however, uh, Irene found this and was very bonded to the Catholic Church. So it breaks my heart to tell you that this is where Irene's story and her life are robbed from her. It was April 16, 1960, when Irene Garza was last seen alive. She had been living with her parents. And she told them she was going to confession at Sacred Heart Church in McAllen. Irene was often conspicuous to the congregation, again, because of her natural beauty. And several parishioners confirmed that they remembered seeing Garza at the church that night of April 16th. So she's, we'll send you pictures on Instagram, you guys. She is beautiful. She is a beauty queen. So she was... I'm actually looking at pictures of her right now, and she is gorgeous. Isn't she gorgeous? Like, so people... She is lovely enough that people took note she was definitely there. And they also took note, and authorities confirmed, that Irene's last confession was heard by Father John Fight. The evening of April 16th to the morning of April 17th, is when Irene's parents started to worry. When her parents did not hear from her after the traditional mass she told them she was going to, they first thought she had stayed at the church for the Easter Vigil Mass. And to them, it would not be shocking considering how devout Irene was. Right. However, when she did not return home by 3 a.m., Her parents reported her missing by going personally to the McAllen Police Department, which I think that is a fantastic idea. Present yourself immediately, put yourself in front of these people and, you know, get ready to fight for your loved one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And even just realizing it by 3 a.m., like. Oftentimes, right. it's wake up in the morning and realize that she's not home. Right. No, her, her her parents clearly waited up for her. They were very clearly concerned, these poor parents. And 
showing up at the police station seem to have an effect or rather police were very interested in this case because a huge search team was assembled for Irene and it resulted in the largest volunteer search to date in 1960 in the Rio Grande Valley. Wow, that's that's amazing because again, you just don't hear that often. No, no, a full like ground team of people all the way up to 1960 they hadn't seen this many people looking for someone and they were all there for Irene. Huh, that, yeah, that's incredible. On April 18th, the second day of the search, a trail of evidence was stretching several hundred yards down to McAllen Road. Passerby found Garza's purse, her left shoe, and her lace veil. Oh, interesting. Was it like being thrown out of a car? Potentially, I suppose. I think it's more likely that they were scattered. I, I'm just not sure what sort of lace veil this was. It was like a hanky or if it was one that she would wear at church because some parishioners do choose to wear the veil in church. So that I have question marks about. But yeah, I actually am seeing a photo of the evidence. Yes. Um it's really hard to tell. Yes, I've um, seen the photos as it's well. It's like a pile of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it looks kind of large if this is what I'm assuming the veil is. And we'll we'll I'm sure this will be in our our photos um on Instagram. They've got great documentation of these this case and photos. I'm just yeah, that picture happens to be the one that's a little difficult to decipher so i'm not sure the yeah, i will say her shoe's really cute i really yes, like her shoe me too and the investigation into irene's death will be plagued plagued by sick individuals oh no so, yeah in an awful and time-wasting action a woman claimed to be garza and called her home, saying she had been kidnapped and taken to a hotel in nearby Hidalgo. Oh, God. It was determined the call was false. I can't imagine being Garza's family and getting that call. They gave you just like a little bit of hope, only for it to be dashed because someone was making a prank call to a murder investigation. Yeah, and that that stuff still happens today, and it blows my mind. Yeah, blows my mind. Yet another person would attempt to derail the investigation when they told an Edinburgh waitress, a county in Hidalgo, uh, I I probably pronounced that wrong. I pronounced it the Irish way. And we are in Hidalgo, Texas, y'all. So I believe that should be Edinburgh. However, I said Edinburgh. So <laughs> we we do focus a lot of our stuff on England, just our own interests and <laughs> the UK in general. So <laughs> making that Scottish kind of makes sense for our personalities. So I'm going to see how much of this I leave in because it's pretty funny. So, <laughs> however, because this person 
told an Edinburgh waitress, she, and Edinburgh is a county in Hidalgo, and he tells this waitress that he had killed Garza. And the waitress was like, uh, okay, I'm calling the police. And it was found he was making a joke after drinking heavily. It's not a joke. Yeah, the murder of a local woman is hilarious, dude. Good joke. I hope you enjoyed your visit from the cops where you had to explain that you're just an asshole. Yeah, like, it, I, un- there, I understand how there are times that people falsely confess because of interrogation and mental state at that point. But just after drinking and saying, oh, yeah, I killed this person. Right, right. Assumingly after seeing it on the news. That, no, that's not that's not funny. Right. You're just super drunk. Once again, I hope you enjoyed explaining that to a police officer. Piece of junk. And on April 21st, 1960, the search ended with the most tragic of results. Irene Garza's body was discovered dumped in a canal off the McAllen Road. An autopsy was performed. And revealed the horrors that Irene was subjected to in this brutal attack. From the postmortem examination, medical examiners were able to determine that the cause of death was suffocation. They determined that the perpetrator was even more of a monster and that he had raped Irene while she was unconscious and beaten her while she was unconscious. Wow. Yes, she was, she, the sources I read said that the bruising was under both of her eyes, all over her face. My goodness, that's yes, awful. Yeah, here it is, it, next line, Oops. there's visible bru- bruising over both of her eyes and to the right side of her face. When she was unconscious, he did that to her. And in a shitty but common occurrence, any physical evidence such as hair, blood, or semen had been washed away during the time the body spent in the canal. Authorities found Irene's body fully dressed, except for her shoes and her underwear. She had been found wearing a lavender blouse that had been unbuttoned. And you said that she was found off of the same road where her items were found. Correct. Do you know how far they were from each other? I do not. I do not know that. Because everything just says... it. The problem is, it. there's not like a real... like Everything just said she was dumped on a McAllen Road. And the stuff was dumped on a McAllen Road. Because it's so old. It doesn't like... Give me a pin drop, like, where? Right. Yeah, it's not like Google Maps existed at that point. Right, so everything's kind of vague, you know? And you can tell here with this thing, with the investigation, is vague because it's the time period. Because at first there there are a few clues, obviously. There was an imprint of Irene's petticoat found on the banks of the canal and a partial heel print from the man's shoe. So that's really what they had to go on. Yeah. And at that point, there was a lot less 
advances in testing. Exactly. Where, unfortunately, a lot of that stuff, if they had it, they couldn't do anything with it. Yeah, and I mean, the silver lining is the huge, huge search team that recovered her shoe. Mm -hmm. It could potentially, you know, be useful. And it also is useful because it was determined that Irene's body was found without her left shoe, which was found in the search for her body. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. they were extremely close to each other. Nothing I yeah, saw. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it was like her body was in the canal and then going away from the scene, you can tell like what side of the road things were tossed on or if it was seemingly on the way to the canal. I think it, it might not really matter. Just curiosity i think it might have been on the way to the canal once you hear about the timeline with irene okay so however slim the clues were law enforcement was determined to find this killer and they questioned about 500 people across several texas cities they focused on known sex offenders garza's family members co-workers and ex-boyfriends so they're looking that 500 people is a lot it is a lot especially for that time period again it's not as easy to find people exactly it's 1960 they performed almost 50 polygraph examinations and offered a $2,500 reward for information about Irene's death That's a lot of money at that point, too. Exactly. This was larger than any amount of money previously offered in a Rio Grande Valley murder case. And then South Texas businessmen later posted $10,000 of reward money. Wow, that's that's a real lot for that time period. Exactly. And this, I think, is a bit of a silver lining in this tragedy. Irene loved her church and helped her community. And now that community is coming together and not letting her case go. Which is fantastic. That That's what you would want out of the community that you're part of. I agree. Now, John Fight, I'm removing the title of father, as I believe... Those titles should be held for those honorable and loyal to the church's teachings. So he will henceforth be referred to as John or Fight. Oh, no. He came into the cop's suspicions soon after Irene's disappearance, which makes sense to me as John Fight is the priest that Irene made her final confession to before she disappeared. Mm Mm-hmm. He had been at the McAllen Church for some time, completing seminary training in San Antonio. Now, okay, in an extremely telling occurrence, three weeks before Irene's disappearance, a woman named Maria America Guerra came forward and said she had been sexually assaulted while kneeling at the communion rail at another Catholic church in the McAllen area. Which, oh, goodness. Yeah, that gives me major pause. I just, as someone raised, I I went to some Catholic masses, but I was also, I was mostly raised Episcopal. You guys probably don't know much about it. 
but were Catholicism light. And the communion rail is just such, to me, a protective kind of holy place. It, it, I would feel quite bizarre and upset if something happened to me while I was kneeling at the communion rail. Yeah, and I, I've only been to church a couple times, um, mainly like as a little kid sleeping over at a friend's house, mm-hmm. go with them on a Sunday morning type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, even as a non-religious person, I, I understand that. Like that, that's supposed to be kind of the sacred place where exactly you, you are able to be yourself and that's your time. Right. You are literally reflection and all of that. In this case, in in this case, you are literally kneeling to bear your soul in front of the Lord who is in the communion wafer and wine. You consume his body and blood and are redeemed of your sins. And to be assaulted while that ritual is happening to you, I can't imagine what that would do, what kind of disassociation that would throw you into. Yeah, it'd, it'd sure make you question your faith, I would assume. I I imagine, I imagine. And rumors abounded that Fight was responsible. And Gera even picked him out as her attacker. But local church leaders discouraged people from considering the possibility that a priest could be involved in a violent crime. Which is nonsense, in my opinion. Your institution is meant to serve God and serve the people. And someone comes forward saying they were assaulted and you play it down? That's trash. Yeah, like... You you have a responsibility to protect. Correct. And I know that this could be a time period thing as well. I tried to remind myself here that we're in the 1960s. The church is, is much different now than it was then. And I won't comment on whatever changes have or have not occurred. But in this particular historical case... I'm sorry, but I call them like I see them, and the reaction is trash. Yeah, I, it's hard for me to really like look at it and say, okay, it's the 1960s, times are different, and yeah, indeed they were, but yeah, I just can't get over the fact that you are in charge of an institution mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as the Catholic Church, like it's Correct. it's your institution that you are running for the people and not everyone who is religious or specifically catholic has to be a amazing person has to no follow all of the laws and to assume that's the case is irresponsible it brought up feel it's it, I was surprised by the feelings as a, a, a fallen Catholic and a fallen Episcopal. I was surprised at the deep feelings that came up for me in some of the stuff that John Fight did. 
One of them being attacking a woman, assaulting her sexually at the communion rail because it's such a sacred space. Which, it, it was so weird how much it came up for me because I haven't been to church in a very long time. Very, very. But it did bring things up for me. And I think it was not for me. I think it was for Irene. Because I think mm -hmm. Irene and Maria deserve better. And John Fight even admitted to visiting a priest at the same church on the day of Gera's attack. Though he denied assaulting her. And so he is putting himself there. Exactly. He's admitted that he was there. He's just denying her story. However, despite the horrific trauma Maria America Guerra endured, the case was pursued. And John Fight was later charged with rape. And the trial ended in a hung jury. Mm hmm. Which, come on, guys. Got me. You got me excited there for a moment oh, that he was held accountable. I, I got you excited, but also, here's a little something. He, some justice was finally had for Maria due to John's own laziness. Rather than face a second trial, Fight entered a plea of no contest to a misdemeanor charge of aggravated assault and paid a $500 fine. Okay, it's it's not the charge of rape, but it's something. But you pled no contest. Therefore, years later, Fight would say he did not understand that a no contest plea would be considered a conviction in the case. Oh, God. Which I don't feel bad about, my guy. Read up on what you're pleading to in court or ask your lawyer because there's no internet. It just seems like he thinks like he can get away with anything and it'll be overlooked. Like, no, you have a record now, John. You don't just get to pay $500. It says somewhere forever that you committed an assault against this woman. Right. Ugh. Well, one thing I will say, though, is I'm not incredibly disappointed that he pled because... Mm -hmm. That means she didn't have to go through a whole trial again. Exactly. Like, that is one thing that is good for Maria. She doesn't have to sit there yes. and either testify herself or listen to other people's testimony and yes. go through the whole process again. Because that in itself is traumatic. Absolutely. And while this is all happening, because Maria was attacked only three weeks before Irene. Remember that. So the court is going on in Maria's case. At the same time, church members were rallying to help and give information in Irene Garza's case. And luckily, these people had long memories. They remembered the services on the night of April 16th. They were able to share that Fight's confession line moved slowly on the night of Garza's disappearance, and that he was away from the sanctuary several times. Oh, interesting. I, exactly. I find that interesting, and I'm glad they shared it, because it calls into question, if John Fight was performing confessions, why would he leave that sanctuary? Mm-hmm. 
yeah it's just it's 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 weird (laughs) yeah it's not it and that is again something it's gonna make your line move slow right several days after her body was found authorities were still doggedly pursuing the case when irene's body was discovered in the canal it was determined that they should drain it in the hope to recover evidence and they would actually be in luck oh good when drained they found a photo slide viewer so weird right yeah very weird just that seems random but i'm hoping it's connected right so police asked for the public to turn in any information in hopes of finding the owner of this slide viewer only two days after finding it they received a letter from john fight a visiting priest from the missionary oblates of mary immaculate the letter said quote that slide viewer belongs to me huh When asked about it, investigator Mike Garza, no relation, said he felt fight was, quote, taunting the police. Mike Garza is going to come back here. In the case of this quote, I'm not positive of his title, but he was actively involved in the investigation. And once I have a title for him later in the story, I will duly note it. That's just like such a weird thing. Like, first off, it's so bizarre. A slide viewer. Yeah. Well, and why would you go ahead and say it belongs to me when you know you're being questioned? Right. For another incident. Right. You're that in. Your, has similarities. You're. You're either still in court or freshly out of court. It makes sense to me that Garza thinks that he is just taunting them because why else would you just two, only two days after they asked the public for help, he was like, oh, it was mine. He wanted to get involved as quickly as possible. Right. And do we know how far the canal is from the church? No, no. I'm just wondering, like, with people saying that he was gone for long periods of time and now with something tying him to this place, could he have left to come back and made sense? I have the further down here, I have the amount of time it would have taken to to reach the sanctuary. This when he leaves the confessional, he's not technically leaving the entire body of the church. He's just entering a separate area that tends that is a little farther away because it's a larger okay so we'll we'll get to those details i'm thinking ahead absolutely no it will um it will become clear how and and i even have how often well you'll see okay so fight was further noticed by a new witness who came forward anna maria hollingsworth She testified that she had seen Fight pull Irene out of the confessional before. Pull her out? Yes. Uh, For those of you all not familiar, a confessional booth is a booth. Much like a voting booth, however, very differently constructed, very considered sacred 
places in which you make your confession before the priest and God. That just sounds so aggressive. Exactly. He is removing her. He would pull her from the confessional. And her friend had seen him do it before. When Irene is so devout, you can imagine all she probably wants to do is get to the confessional. And this piece of shit, he stated that she was too good to confess in the confessional. And that he would take her to the rectory. Oh, no. I don't like that. Nope. Absolutely not. And neither did Hollingsworth. Anna Marie Hollingsworth noted how confused Irene seemed by Fight's insistence. Yeah, I would be too if I were watching that. Exactly. And the clergy are also eager to offer information. Fellow priests told the investigators they had noticed scratch marks on Fight's hands after the Easter Vigil Mass. And they also said it was irregular for Fight to have taken Garza to the church rectory to hear her confession as he had reportedly done that night. So, confirming. That was another question is like, do we know if that happened with other people or not? But it sounds like it didn't if other people are saying it's weird. I'm, yeah, I'm going to comment upon that because there are a few big pieces here that we just introduced, which is the fellow priest saw scratch marks on his hands. They confirmed it was irregular for Irene to have been taken to the church rectory. And they didn't know if that space was private. So here's the thing. I'm going to share with you again. It bubbled up for me as I researched this. So he not only heard her bear her soul and then killed her, he removed her to the back of the rectory, which for me is not right. I've I've been to Catholic services before, but I've never given confession. However, it is my knowledge that the confessional booth is a sacred place in the Catholic Church. In fact, Fight committed what the Church considers a, a mortal sin. The Catholic Education Resource Center says, quote, For such a person to violate the secrecy of another person's confession is a mortal sin and warrants a just penalty, not excluding excommunication. So taking her out of the sacred space to the rectory not only would isolate her and get her alone, but was also probably very traumatic for Irene being devout, knowing that someone might overhear her confession. Yeah, and it's my understanding. And again, as as I've stated, I'm not religious. I've never done confession either. But it's my understanding that even though you know who you're talking to, you know, the the person on the other side of it, typically, not necessarily all the time, but it's still meant to be very personal and private. Correct. And as if you are telling somebody who doesn't know you. Correct. And there's actually a privacy screen there that you, that the priest pulls down and that you pull down. So you can't look directly into the face and see 100% the face, the person that you are confessing to. Yeah, and it, 
based on my understanding that it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be almost anonymous, even though it technically isn't. Correct. From my experience and my research done, what I understand is that it's intended to be as close to you and God as it can be, somehow involving the priest in there as well. And I just think yeah. that it's heinous that somebody could have overheard her and she probably could have been, you know, sort of traumatized by that. And now we're going to talk about the district attorney for this case in later years. Mike Garza, the same one who I discussed before, he is now district attorney. And he found another witness to testify to John Fight being a deviant pervert. Beatrice Garcia testified that in the weeks before Irene Garza was murdered, she had a creepy encounter with Fight. In court, she testified, quote, I was walking to work, a car approached, and I said, can I help you, sir? And he said, I would love to take a picture of you dressed in black by the cemetery. Hmm. And that kind of potentially brings back the slide viewer. Yes. When like he's taking photos of people. Mm -hmm. She was showed an image display when she was asked to identify him. Garcia pointed directly at him and said, that's him right there. He was the priest. Wow. So that blows my mind because that would mean that he was in his collar at the very least for her to recognize him as the priest or she'd been mm -hmm. to church exactly. and knew him just so screwed up either way just being able to identify him as a priest yeah and so the reason i included this story is that i just wanted to highlight it a little bit because it expounds on john's actions but also i just want to remind you that if you're walking please walk safe if someone comes up to you in a car and tries to talk to you, you don't have to stop. You don't owe them anything. If they follow you, duck in an alley where their car might not fit, or get to a place with a lot of pedestrians and lighting and tell every single person you see that that car has been following you. Yeah, if you can get to people, that's your best resource. Exactly. So I just wanted to include that to remind everybody to walk safe. McAllen police initially stated that fight passed polygraph tests, but the tests were later said to be inconclusive. And we know these days polygraphs aren't always a reliable method, but remember this is still the 60s, 70s. However, Investigators brought in the foremost polygraph team in the nation, the Chicago-based John E. Reed and Associates, whose founder had literally written the book on lie detector tests. Oh, little shout out to Chicago there. Shout out. Hey, home. During two days of intense questioning at a, a Holiday Inn hotel room that June, John Fight was said to be evasive, and at times seemed to enjoy baiting his interrogators. The examiner was convinced the subject was not telling the truth when he denied killing Irene Garza or attacking Maria Guerra. 
So it goes back to what the district attorney said back in the day. Right. Uh, of him, like, trying to provoke them a little bit or uh, insult mm-hmm. them. Yes. Trying to, trying to them. get under their skin, thinking he's going to get away with all of this. Like, that he's found mm-hmm. the... He thinks he's found the perfect disguise. And when John was originally interviewed by investigators, he denied even hearing Garza's confession in the rectory. But later, Hmm. he changed his story and he admitted to having done so. He explained away his absence from the sanctuary by claiming that he had broken his glasses that night. He also said that he often played with his glasses nervously as he listened to confession. For me, that sounds like a lie, 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 because he gives so many details about the glasses that are unrelated. Right, like trying to divert the conversation a little bit. Right, it sounds like you're trying to divert from the point of, why did you leave the sanctuary? Like, oh, yeah. my glasses, oh, my glasses. And, like, I get it. I wear glasses. If my glasses broke, I'm a very upset person. <laughs> but I also am not playing with them to break them. You're also not going to have gone as many times as Fight does. You're about to hear that. And just say your glasses broke if it's the truth. Right? Like, it that happens. I've broken many pairs of glasses in my life. Exactly. It does happen. However, further expounding on his glasses story, Fight stated that he had driven back to the church's pastoral house a short drive away to get another pair of glasses. So this is the place he was returning to when he left the confessional area. We only find this out now. This is where he was going. And that will become important in just a little bit. And I do kind of just have a little bit of a random question. Um, Is giving a confessional, does he have any sort of obligation to tell the police what was said in that confessional? Or is that something that is protected and he, he can't say? If I am not mistaken, that is protected under the court of law. I thought so. Yes. Yes, to my knowledge, that information is can be withheld in court. Okay, I kind of thought so, but I figure like that could be a big piece of this if he it could is yeah. able to say what happened, like what was said during the confession that could lead somewhere else, right? For investigators, right? So, at this pastoral house, like I said, short drive away, he says. John Fight. When he arrives to the house, he had no key. So he had to climb into the house on the second floor. And this is how he accounted for the scratches on his hands as he was climbing the outside of the brick structure. Again, so much detail, so much bullshit. So, like, was he climbing on, like, uh, a something to get up 
to the window, or is he just like scaling the wall like Spider Man? That it sounds like he's trying to say he was scaling the wall like Spider Man because it's noted that it was a brick wall. So it's like, how did you claim that, buddy? It's also very right. Like, is there a trellis or something? It's also yeah. Is there? It's also not right because the scratches observed by the other clergy were that were to the top of Fight's hand and ran up his wrist, the front of his wrist. So is he climbing with like his palms facing him? Exactly. Is that (laughs) your story? Is that your story? Because that sounds like that's... Like, okay, if he's like made it clear that there was a trellis or something and he's like climbing through like vines, I could maybe slightly buy that more than what I'm buying right now. Right. Because it it doesn't add up. Like it, I just like we just said, I wrote a very unlikely wound for someone to get while climbing upward palms down in the traditional manner. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but this is simple and plain bullshit. And I'm sure that the investigators recognized it as such. And Fight was starting to be unable to explain away odd details in his story. Fight had been staying temporarily at the rectory to help Sacred Heart's congregation with the busy Easter holiday. But he kept going back to the pastoral house, which he lived at just a few miles away, like we just said. Mike Garza, the investigator and who will be DA, tracked that he went to the pastoral house six times in a 24-hour period. That's just kind of obnoxious. If I kept forgetting stuff like that, I'd drive myself crazy. That's why I told you before, like, there's no way you would go as many times as he did. Because he went six times, various excuses, saying, oh, I broke my glasses. Oh, I needed new clothes. Lots of detail. Again, providing the authority as ways to pick out your inconsistencies. Right. And in a wild and true scandalous and wrong proceeding, we meet Daryl Davis who is a reporter who is testifying, and he declared that in or around 1962, he and several other reporters were summoned to an off-the-record meeting with Robert Lattimore, who is then the district attorney. He was prior to Garza's being the district attorney. Daryl Davis said Lattimore stated, quote, We know, verbatim, we know that Father Fight killed Irene Garza. Davis also remembered the man saying, quote, And the church knows that he killed Irene Garza, so we have made some arrangements. End quote. Arrangements. Exactly. Those arrangements were that Fight would exchange a plea in the Maria Guerra case, to not be prosecuted in the Irene Garza case, and the church would, quote, send him away. So Fight was able to slip into the shadows of another community after leaving one behind in tatters to potentially commit more crimes. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a fair exchange. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not okay with that. Nope. It like I. I don't like it either. But if anyway, the other way around. I don't like that. I think that Maria deserves to have justice. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna get him on one thing, get him on the more extreme offense. Prosecute him. Do not just punish him for certain things and absolve him of others. Punish him for the things he has done. Show him that his actions have consequences. And maybe this is me speaking in 2023, but I have a lot more appreciation for an organization that is willing to admit like, yeah, this person did something wrong and we don't tolerate it either. So we're putting a stop to it. Correct. That's the behavior I want to see. And I do think that's a little 2023. I think back... It's a, it's, it's a very, like, a current viewpoint. Yeah, I think this viewpoint back then was always sweeping on the rug, sweeping on the rug, sweeping on the rug, you know? Because it's very... Yeah. It's, it's late 60s, early 70s. It's very much, like, push it down and hide it under the rug. But it won't be, because in August, Father... Why am I calling him Father? In August, John... That dumb asshole... John Fight was indicted <laughs> for assault with intent to rape Gara. He was later declared a fugitive when church officials at the San Antonio headquarters of the Oblates of Mary Immaculate told arresting officers that he had left the state. Oh, goodness. The, pr- the priest later surrendered claiming that he had suffered a nervous breakdown brought on by the police interrogations and the, and stood trial the following year. Well, there's a lot of other people that probably had nervous breakdowns due to your actions. Exactly. I strongly doubt that, sir. I think you were trying to escape your actions just like you had been able to do for years. But it's different now, my guy. You are a fugitive from justice, and you are going to be brought forward to face that. Yeah. After the proceedings in the Gara case were resolved, by pleading no contest and the fee, he was sent to Assumption Abbey, a Trappist monastery in Missouri. Which is gross. He's a predator, and we're just moving him. Yeah. That's gross. Fight couldn't keep his mouth shut either. As an abbot, as Assumption Abbey told Monk Dale to Cheney that Fight had killed someone. The abbot had to Cheney counsel Fight for a few months to determine whether he had the disposition to become a monk. This is insane to hmm. me. Yeah. He is going to be a monk. And he has a conviction for aggravated assaults against a woman. Because that no contest plea is an admission of guilt. So John Fight officially had a record of aggressively assaulting women. And they're still like, check him out. See if you'd make an okay monk. Yeah. That, no. No. No, right? Exactly. No, absolutely not. Like, I don't have much else to say, but no. (laughs) Exactly. No, no. Tuchini later said, Fight had confessed to hurting a young lady and murdering another one. 
But he said that it was not his job to judge fight at the time. If anyone reports a crime to you, especially a crime of this magnitude, go ahead, don't judge, but report it and do the right thing. Right, because here I go. Fight's confession went unreported to authorities for many years, which again, what... What do you mean it's not your job to judge him? He, If someone is dead, you better believe you should judge them before you get charged as an accessory. It's wild. Because Tachini was told to observe fight and work with fight. So yes, it really actually is Tachini's job to judge him if he's worthy of being a monk. Yeah, no, that's a valid point. <laughs> It's actually your job. And he admitted to you a murder. Again, this is wild. John Fight did not feel comfortable with the monastic lifestyle at Assumption Abbey. So, aw, poor John. Are you uncomfortable? <laughs> Are you sad? Are you uncomfortable at the Abbey? Aww. Let's make you more comfortable by sending you to Jimez Springs, New Mexico, to a treatment retreat for troubled priests. Oh, that... Oh. <laughs> Again, my mind is blown. There are treatment centers for troubled priests. Yeah, I, I didn't know that existed. And I don't know if they still exist. I but... don't know if I like it. Oh. It's bad. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. If they're anything like John, they need to start being more stringent about who they give the boot to immediately instead of treating them. Yeah. The retreat was run by servants of the paraclete, and John joined the order as a staff member and worked his way to a supervisory role. And now oh. this is going to mean something for Catholics and those of you who followed the news. So, Sam, you'll probably recognize this particularly egregious of john fight was that father james porter came to the center after he was known to have begun molesting children in the 1960s and john fight cleared him for placement at another parish oh <sighs> Porter was later defrocked and imprisoned after abusing as many as a hundred children. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugh. And John Fight That, like, makes my stomach hurt. But, like, that upsets me. It's so upsetting because John Fight is culpable in that. He let that happen. He cleared him. He literally let that happen. And again... This is historical information on the Catholic Church, and I'm only here to report facts. And I think we can all agree on the fact that James Porter was a dangerous predator, and so was Fight. And cases like this led to rumors abounding in Irene's case, with some rumors being spread that the death was being covered up by the church and the authorities in a conspiracy. Yeah, with that, that reporter speaking out that Mm -hmm. Makes sense why that rumor spread. I, I get it. Yeah. So, yeah. So we just talked a lot about how John Fight 
was a real piece of work and how egregious his crimes were. And what I'm going to share makes me upset, but I hope they have a good life. In the 1970s, John left the priesthood and he married, moved to Phoenix, and had three children. Oh. I'm like, just. Uh, that first part of the sentence left the priesthood. Okay. I can agree with that. That sounds like it probably is a good thing. But having kids. I'm disgusted. He got to live a happy life and fall in love and have children, and he denied Irene Garza all of that. Yeah, that that's upsetting. Yeah, and he was just able to just leave the priesthood, even though he had committed these assaults. He just left. Oof. Also, I imagine to quell the guilt uh, he felt, he worked at the Society of St. Vincent de Paul as a food charity volunteer for 17 years. And again, he was able to just walk away from everything he had done with no one raising alarms. However, his luck is not going to last forever. In 2000, Father Joseph O'Brien, who worked with Vite at the time during Irene's death, told a television program that he did not know anything about the murder. So we've now made it to the year 2000. And they are still investigating clergy members about this case. Which, I'm glad there's still clearly an investigation happening. But it's 40 years of denial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And John Fight made a critical mistake. He shared the details of his crimes with others. It, it gives me the standard bragging murderer talking about how tough he is. And the thing is, every time this happens, it seems as if they do not know they are painting themselves into a corner. And John Fight most certainly had. Because the more people you tell, someone is going to sing like a canary. Yeah, like, honestly, go ahead and keep talking because that's the way to get caught. Mm-hmm. And I'm personally okay with that. Oh, yeah. But it's not smart. No, it's if, not if, smart. Like, at as a criminal, all. it's not smart. It's not but smart. please go ahead and keep talking. Exactly. Go ahead and keep talking. And as I said, John Fight had painted himself into a corner. In 2002, Dale Ticheni could not keep Fight's secret anymore thinking that the murder had happened in San Antonio due to fight training there, he called authorities in that city. And he said, quote, I covered up the evidence. I'm sorry for what I did. Okay, like, it's well after the fact, but I do appreciate coming forward. Right. However, he's in the wrong area. He's calling Mm -hmm. San Antonio... And where he needs to be is Texas. So now a former monk, he finally reaches out to the McAllen Police Department and the Texas Rangers investigative squad. And he told them that in 1963, when he was counseling novice monks at a monastery, Fight had admitted to killing a young woman on Easter weekend. In the same year, 2002, so 42 years after Irene's murder, 
The district attorney in Hidalgo County was turning over the evidence and trying to prosecute this murder. But he ultimately considered that the evidence against Fite was too weak to secure a conviction. Irene Garza's family was said to again feel that they had been denied justice. Understandably so, in my opinion. Yeah, but I also, I do kind of understand that because the evidence that is there currently is hearsay. Mm-hmm. Well, may- maybe. it That's kind of like the, that complicated gray area of hearsay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, if you're hearing it directly from the person who is on trial, then it can be brought in, I believe, if I'm remembering some of the rules of hearsay, right? But it's not heavy, solid evidence. Right. Right. And despite the DA's seeming insistence not to bring this case to trial, the investigation did continue and only began adding more evidence. Oh, good. In 2002, the investigation into Garza's death was again reopened, though it was technically never closed. Texas Rangers investigator Rudy Jaramillo contacted Father Joseph O'Brien, a priest who had worked with Fight at the time of Garza's death. We've heard about him a couple times. He's the one who went on TV, right? Correct. Correct. And according to Rudy Jaramillo... Despite his earlier assertions on TV of knowing nothing, he admitted to Jaramillo that Fight had confessed shortly after it had taken place. So 40 years after Irene was killed, he said that John had confessed to Garza's murder shortly after the crime. But he went on TV two years before this and said he knew nothing. Yeah, it makes me livid because it's like you truly cannot trust these religious figures that are preying on your vulnerability in church and to hear that fight confessed closely after the crime and these two clergymen, supposedly men who were worthy to lead a congregation of people, kept this secret and went on working with him like nothing had ever happened. Yeah. Uh, that, I don't understand. Like, I do, one thing I, I do deserve, think that deserves to be noted and is very valuable is they're now telling the truth. And Correct. I, that's incredibly important. And I, it, all of these cold cases, we, we've talked a lot about cold cases. Mm-hmm. We need this to happen. We, exactly. We need these little bits of information that you have that you've been unwilling to share. It's time. Unburden yourself. Help us close these cases. It's just a shame that they didn't come with it earlier. Exactly. But I do think it deserves to be noted that it is appreciated when people do come forward even years later. Correct. Correct. And later in the year, the, a polygraph examiner who had tested fight in 1960 again said he questioned the reported results. The initial report said that fight had passed the polygraph, but the report was later edited to say that the results were inconclusive. The examiner stating that they felt all along that fight had failed the test. That's interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Like, what was it being passed, like, first off? And then the afterthought to change it to inconclusive yeah. while the examiner is saying that he never had any confidence that it was either inconclusive or passed. Right. Interesting. Yeah, and another, this case twists and turns, and we're about to take another sharp, weird left, because the Hidalgo County District District Attorney Rene Guerra, again, no relation to Maria, he brought the case before a grand jury in 2004, but fight to Cheney and O'Brien, those being the two priests who gave evidence in against fight, were not subpoenaed. And the jury chose not to indict fight. Why why were they not subpoenaed? Like that's just what that's weird. Girl, I have no idea. Also, Renee Guerra was the DA from the nineteen eighties until twenty fourteen. This man could easily have brought this case to trial sooner. And it blows my mind that none of these men were subpoenaed. And and for our listeners who don't know, a subpoena is a writ issued by a government agency, most often a court, to compel testimony by a witness or produce evidence in the case. If they didn't produce evidence, they would then open themselves up to penalty from the court under the subpoena. Yeah, like you're required to show up at court if you're subpoenaed. Like, right. If you don't, you're in contempt. Right. So why were none of these men called? Why were none of them subpoenaed? It's why does Gera just seem to want this case to go away? Is yeah, my question. Weird. Like I've been subpoenaed for a uh, theft that happened at a store I worked at. And I wasn't even working at the store at the time of the theft. I just was one of the managers mm-hmm. and I've been subpoenaed. Like, yeah. 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 You're, it's a writ, you're required to appear, and or you will be subject to penalty. Yeah, and like I had to take the day out. Well, I, I got paid for it because it was work-related, but like I had to not be in my store and exactly. drive like 40 miles to the courthouse. And it's a whole long story, but like... Right, but you had to I, do I, it I had to do that multiple times. <laughs> you had to do it because they subpoenaed you, and why in the world would you sub- take this case to trial and not subpoena these men? I'm... Uh, it, it blows my brain away. And the district attorney's defense in being reluctant to revisit the case was that early investigation had been shoddy and that O'Brien was suffering from dementia when he was questioned. He also said that there was no physical evidence. He, the district attorney, said that Ranger Rudy Aramio had inappropriately led Cheney to the location of the murder after the monk said it occurred in San Antonio. Guerra angered Garza's family by asking, quote, Why would anyone be haunted by her death? She died. Her killer got away. Whoa, wait, what? (laughs) My notes say in all caps, what the fuck kind of dead duck on a dusty driveway are you? Uh, Like, uh, I just, I I don't have words for that. Because it is your job (laughs) to bring these people to justice. The district attorney (laughs) said to the family... 
quote, why would anyone be haunted by her death? She died. Her killer got away. What? That, that second part of that is exactly why you're haunted. Yeah. And that is exactly your job. Nomi Ponce Sigler, Irene's cousin, and her father, Milo Ponce, were, who was a policeman working on the case, says her father was intensely impacted by this. Sigler's father told her that the case had been taken out of his hands and would be moved to his superiors. She said that her father was never able to fully let this case go. However, during the time the case was in transition, Sigler was paid a visit to his home from Father O'Brien from Sacred Heart Church. Remember him? Mm -hmm. O'Brien is one of the clergy who have already heard a confession from fight in this murder. Linda de la Vigna testified to, quote, the church tried to placate them, saying, even if it's him, we're going to take care of him, that he would find justice within the church if it was him, end quote. So, okay, they're going to take care of him, meaning they're going to make sure he has a good life. Yeah. Which I ask, and I'm sure Linda asks, what the fuck kind of good does that do? <laughs> what yeah, good does like, that do me? What good? You're gonna oh, you're gonna prosecute him to the fullest extent of the church? Like, oh, move him to a different church? Okay, what good does that do me? Yeah, it, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, like no the answer good. is it doesn't do you any good. Yeah, the answer is none. Irene's family had long suspected that the church and authorities conspired to protect Fight. However, the state says there is proof with Mike Garza saying, quote, I was stunned. I felt like I had a smoking gun at that point. The evidence he is here referring to is a letter written in 1960 from one church official to another. Garza's position is that the church and the at-the-time Catholic sheriff, E.E. E. Vickers, conspired to undermine the investigation into Garza's murder. According to Mike Garza, quote, at some point the sheriff would meet the DA and explain to him what a weak case they had against him in an effort to get it dropped, end quote. The letter recovered also contained that the church, the clergy was concerned about how a case against fight might not only affect the church, but also the campaign of Catholic presidential candidate John F. Kennedy. Father Thomas Doyle, a leading expert on clergy abuse, analyzed the letter for the jury. He testified to the court, I believe I have, quote, I believe I have found in every paragraph some element in every paragraph that I found very unusual, but pointed to an attempt to cover this up to make it go away, end quote. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. First mm -hmm. off, thank goodness that letter still exists. Mm -hmm. like, yep. <laughs> Can you imagine? But how blatant is that? Uh, Garza is right when he says, like, he had a smoking gun in his hands. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, I, I, yeah, again, I'm so happy that letter survived. And even though this letter was found, the case is stagnating this whole time, which is really awful. Because as 
seemingly all the information needed was coming in. Fight was continuing to play with the police, the church, and the community when in 2014, he was confronted about the allegations against him in an episode of the show 48 Hours. Oh, really? Yes, ma'am. He was on 48 Hours. Oh, wow. Correspondent Richard Slicinger pressed Fight, who stuck with his story that he didn't kill Garza and he did not know who did. In January 2015, Hidalgo County was still not ready to give up on Irene Garza, and I commend that as the investigation into her death got new steam behind the case in 2015. Good. And there's a very specific reason, because a new district attorney had taken office in Hidalgo County, and he, too, found Irene's case to be interesting. Ricardo Rodriguez was now able to take a better look at the case now that he had taken office as the DA. In April 2015, Rodriguez announced once again that Irene's case had been reopened. Again, I'd like to highlight it had never been closed. Right, like reopened is the wrong word. Reevaluated. Correct. So they say this in April, in April 2015, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. Because as of February 2016, John Fight is now 83 years old. He has had 56 years of freedom and to think about what he's done, but never turned himself in. He had a family and loved ones and a long, happy life and was seemingly indifferent to the fact that he had deprived Irene of all of that. However, finally, finally... In February 2016, the 83-year-old fight was arrested in Arizona in connection with Garza's death on February 9th, 2016. Oh, thank goodness. Exactly. And then he is ultimately extradited back to Texas in March 2016, as that's where he killed her. Mm Mm-hmm. He was incarcerated at the Hidalgo County Sheriff Adult Detention Facility in Texas, where he entered a plea of not guilty. Not surprising. Yeah. And again, innocent until proven guilty. The prosecution requested fight be held on $750,000 in bond, while the defense team asked for $100,000 in bond, adding that fight had stage 3 kidney and bladder cancer. So what, we're supposed to feel bad for him? Because I don't. Like, I get the argument of, like, he probably can't go anywhere because of both his age and his illness. But, yeah, I don't feel bad. (laughs) I don't care. And luckily, neither did Judge Lewis Singletary, who set Garza's bond at $1 million. (laughs) Ha! I like it. Garza, assistant district attorney, said to the public, quote, there may be people who don't understand why an old man is being prosecuted, but make no mistake, this is an evil man. He was a predator. He is a wolf in priest's clothing looking to attack. That is the sort of person that we need in the district attorney's office, Mm -hmm. because as We've now said a couple times, we want to see these older cases being solved. 
Yeah. Even if it's being solved today. Like, right. if justice can be served, right. it should be. Right. If we can find it, let's find it. And this, and Garza is dogged in his pursuit of this investigation, and he will not let it go unanswered for. And I have so much respect for him. Me too. And I think that's such a, a, an evocative image, a wolf in priest's clothing. That's exactly what he was. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he was. Yeah. And in February 2017, so let's do a quick time check here. He was extradited to Texas in March 2016, and he, in February 2017, a judge set a late April trial date as fight remained under medical supervision at Hidalgo County Jail. So he's still just living it up. Okay. Just living, living, living. Yeah, but I, that kind of makes sense, though. A lot of trials get pushed, and it can be a long time between the arrest and the trial. Oh, yeah. And also, if he is under medical supervision, they're not going to bring him into the courtroom. Exactly. Unless he's stable. Yeah, so he's just living, living, living his days. However... To Cheney testified against fight in closed deposition in March 2017. This was permitted under Texas law given the witness's age and exclusive knowledge of the case. From my understanding, a closed deposition is one without parties or counsel present. In April 2017, fight's defense team filed for a change of venue believing that their client could not receive a fair and impartial trial in Hidalgo County. They filed a 700-page document with evidence showing that reporters allegedly condemned Fight as a murderer and that the only reason he had avoided prosecution for for years was because the Roman Catholic Church had protected him, which I don't know if I disagree (laughs) I'll say I understand to file that. I I really do. And I I don't I can't speak, obviously, on behalf of the citizens here, whether it could be partial or impartial. But also just thinking about this is 2017. This is 57 years Mm -hmm. after the murder. Mm -hmm. Unless it's completely all over the news nonstop. I bet you can find a pretty impartial jury. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, on June seventh, twenty seventeen, presiding judge Singletary would agree would agree with you and deny the venue change request after considering that the defendant failed to prove there was prejudice against him in Hidalgo in the Hidalgo community. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. The trial was set to commence on September eleventh, twenty seventeen, but various legal hurdles pushed it back. However, the time has now arrived. On December 7, 2017, it was determined John Fight would face a judge and jury appears for his crimes. In his opening statements, Mike Garza said, quote, It became clear on April 16, 1960, John Fight murdered Irene Garza. He did this with malice of forethought. And those of us who know true crime, to crime know that those are the key those words but for our listeners who might not know 
A killing must be proven to have been committed with malice and aforethought, which is defined as the intent to kill another human being. Without this, you cannot prove in court a first-degree murder charge. You have to go for a lesser charge. Yeah, it's it's the intent is the, the big part of it. Yes, so Garza is saying directly in his opening statements that he committed this murder with malice and aforethought. Dale to Cheney was finally able to unburden himself of the horrific crime he had secreted away for years, and he gave valuable information about what happened to Irene. He testified, quote, After the confession, this is him hearing Fight's confession, After the confession, he took her blouse off. He fondled her breasts, and after that, he took her down to the basement, and somehow she remained in the basement. I assume that he tied her up down there. Oh, wow. So, Irene Garza, so devout and well-loved in her community, was bound in the basement of the church that she must have considered her sanctuary. Uh, Yeah. Like, oh. When you first said the part of the quote of somehow she remained in the basement... My first thought, based on what you had said earlier, was that he somehow knocked her out Mm -hmm. because you said a lot of her injuries Mm -hmm. were done after she was unconscious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But knowing that, like, she, he very likely tied her up down there, that's, that's horrifying. It's horrifying because she was absolutely, there is absolutely proof that she was awake down there because. Prosecutor Mike Garza said, quote, because of the rectory's thick walls, nobody would hear sounds of struggle or any screams for help. It is stated in court that after doing this, Fight went back to the church to hear confessions. Cheney also said Fight told him he later moved her from the rectory to another location, that one being the pastoral house which explains the several trips Fight made back and forth to the pastoral house. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. To Cheney gave more detail about the murder as well, testifying, quote, the next day, Easter Sunday, I believe it was, he put her in the bathroom, put her in the tub, and he had put her in a bag or something over her head. Even more horrific, Tachini couldn't remember if it was a plastic bag or which kind it was, but he had more details still saying that when Fight, quote, was leaving, he heard her say, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And with that, he shut the door and left. When he came back, he opened the bathroom door and she was dead. And then with the body, he dumped the body along the road by a canal. God. And that makes sense with what you had said earlier, with the fact that she died of strangulation, which Mm -hmm. not specifically strangulation, but Mm -hmm. along the same lines. Yeah. What chills my blood is the rectory's thick walls. You Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have heard her scream. 
like it makes me think how long he was planning that because that seems so intentional. Mm -hmm. The prosecution heard from Tuchini that he had also left the priesthood, gotten married and raised a family again, something that was denied Irene Garza forever. He said only in the 2000s did he begin to have a crisis of conscience, which is too late for almost anything, but I suppose to get a small golf clap for finally revealing the very pertinent details you have in a murder case. <sighs> yeah, like like we said, we I wish this came forward so long ago, but we do we do have to acknowledge it. It deserves the acknowledgement. But the still upsetting knowledge that you had that for so long. Right. Tuchini was asked if he knew Irene or her parents. And he said that he felt great pain denying answers to Irene's family and even began to cry on the stand. Which, save your crocodile tears for me. You're crying because you're imagining your beautiful family and if someone would do something as malicious as you did to her, to your family. Yeah, like, it's it's hard to put that in the context of he had so many years and yeah. went about like n nothing had ever happened. Exactly. Had a family. And now you're crying on the stand like, oh, I hit it. I, you know, I hit it. And it's, you're upset because... If someone had done that to your family, it would have shattered your life. And you did that to someone else. And now you're testifying to it and you're crying crocodile tears because you are a bad person who hid this horrible murderer secret. Yeah, but I, I still just, I have to always say that, like, at least he came forward because at least he had that realization. Like, it, I'm sure it does upset him to think that way, but thinking that way is what is going to put this terrible man behind bars, even though he's probably at the age where he can never do something like this again. Yeah. It, it'll help her family. Yeah. It took 15 years to even get to Cheney in front of a jury after he first came forward. This was largely in part to Renee Guerra, who was the DA when Chichene came forward, and he refused to charge fight, if you recall that. In 2013, mm -hmm. 48 Hours spoke to Guerra, and, and he stated he didn't believe fight ever confessed to Chichene. And when asked why Chichene would make up a story such as that, Guerra answered, quote, I don't know. When asked what made him think he would make up a story like that, he said, quote, the fact that he had no specifics. Which says to me that this DA did not even hear out to Cheney's full statements or wanted to bury them in a court of law, because as we've just recounted, to Cheney has gruesome insight into the crime that only could have come from a confession from fight. Yeah, it's such a shame that when he initially came forward, this DA was, he was the DA. Yeah. Like, imagine if it was the, the current DA, or the, the DA at who is currently prosecuting this case, imagine if he was there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like it, it's only a handful of years at this point, right. but it it's still a big difference. Right. And Father O'Brien was also further questioned via recording for the trial by Ranger Rudy Jaramillo. O'Brien's comments of Fight's confession largely matched to Cheney's story. He also brought up that he had placed her in the bathtub, and when asked if Fight told him how he killed her, he said, quote, she had died from the gagging, asphyxiation. However, Guerra countered with O'Brien being a man that should be written off as struggling with dementia. Linda de la Vina particularly remembers Guerra confronting her as she and Nomi Ponce Sigler tried to push him to prosecute. She said, quote, I'll never forget. He put his finger in my face and he said, you know, you will never get an indictment. You'll get one when pigs fly. End quote. Oof. Right? God. See me outside, bro. Those are some fighting words. However, pigs did fly as Guerra was unseated by the new DA, Ricardo Rodriguez, who was determined to fight and find justice for Irene. He kept his promises, and fight was brought to trial as we've reclowned here. Fight continued his little game of saying things that there were, quote, things he wanted to speak to on the stand. And it was in a wrestling match between, quote, my vanity and common sense, and common sense prevailed. I truly believe the only reason it did is that after fight seemed to be leaning toward taking the stand in his defense, counsel determined that they needed to talk to him. And after they talked to him... Yeah, that's probably not recommended by them. Yeah, after fight talked with him... Fight ultimately made the decision not to take the stand in his own defense. But I feel he revealed his hand a little here by saying he's, quote, battling an ego and that it was against, quote, common sense to me. That to me means you might often have that struggle and you might not pick the correct option. Yeah. Well, I think we've, we've seen a trend of that throughout all of this. With first saying that that was his uh, mm-hmm. slide mm-hmm. viewer. Like, that early on in this. Yeah, that's his ego. That seems like it's his ego talking. Rodriguez succeeded and fight was finally found guilty of the murder of Irene Garza. Finally, some justice was shown for this woman. Fight's defense asked that he be given probation, citing his lack of felony convictions since Garza's death. Gross. The prosecution asked for a sentence of 57 years, which was symbolic of the amount of time that had passed since Garza's death. On December 8th, the jury returned their verdict, sentencing Fight to serve a sentence of life in prison. Good. Uh, unfortunately, there's not many years left since because of his age in general. But good riddance. It is it is a form of justice. It really is. It is. On January 27, 2018, Mike Garza stated in an article with CBS News that he believed, though there was a good case against Fight, he was, quote, 
protected by the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, which is interesting to me. The Catholic Church has been involved in crime, absolutely. I would argue that any religion has, but that is for your determination as a listener. I don't have an opinion on if Fight was protected by his Catholicism, but I find it shocking that you would keep such an open secret like a murder in the confines of a church. I would expect the majority yeah. of those around you to be extremely devout and thus a liability for fight. I wonder, though, if his ego is greatly boosted by the Catholic Church and he knew he would be protected regardless of whatever he said. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he thought that he would be protected regardless of what he said. So that makes me think that Fight chose to Cheney and Father Joseph O'Brien very carefully to confess to and considered them as men who would keep his secrets. He, of course, didn't account for how a secret like this would hang heavily in a devout man's heart since he didn't have that. I will say that they let it weigh on their hearts for some time and should have relieved themselves of that burden to the authorities sooner than they did. However, I am glad that they did come forward. Because it leads to something beautiful like this. After the verdict, Nomi Ponce Sigler was in tears and said, quote, justice was served. Irene finally got her day in court, and that's what we all wanted. I said, okay, Irene, I know what your message is. We must get back to respecting, caring, and loving each other. That's what we have to do. That's the lesson she taught us. She was so good. She was and will be my hero. Oh, that's beautiful. It is. But in one last truly evil thing... Unfortunately, all this movement in the case and the joy of the conviction escaped two of the most important people. Nick and Josefina Garza would both pass away in the 90s without seeing anyone prosecuted for their daughter's murder. They were assured that Father that John Fite, who they had suspected from the outset, would be sent to a monastery. Quote, Father O'Brien promised the family that the church would punish him if it found out he had done wrong, remembers Josefina's sister, Erlinda de la Vina. He told us that the church's punishments were greater than any sentence handed down by the courts, and we believed him. Who were we to question a priest? And there lies the crux of the case for me and the injustice done to the Garza family. Yeah, I think they'd be incredibly proud of it, mm-hmm. though, even though they weren't didn't have mm-hmm. the ability to see this child come to an end. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they'd be so proud of her. Mm-hmm. And in February 2020, Fight died in prison of natural causes, good riddance, cardiac arrest. So the universe had much more mercy on him than he did toward Irene. However... I'd like to just end this saying that researching this case, I just started to feel like I knew Irene. 
her devoutness and her confidence and her strength of character were beautiful to read about. And I'm so happy she had a strong base of family, her parents, cousins, uncles, everyone out to not let Irene's case be forgotten. And I hope after all this time, she's given the rest that she deserves. I hope that in the beyond, that she found everything and more that she dreamed of when she prayed at the church. Her story just reminds me to be kind, do good work, help good people, and love your friends and family. I hope that Irene Garza's story does the same for you. So, any final thoughts, Sam? Yeah, I just, I, I love seeing cases that at times feel unsolvable get solved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a fantastic sign to never give up mm-hmm. and to always try to find the person responsible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Justice. Pursue justice. And this is a fantastic example of that. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. There are no term limits on murder. There are none. So if anything is weird to you, even if it's an old guy at a bar talking after a few beers, think about it. Right. Like the the waitress who called in after that drunk guy admitted to it. Like, that's what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. If anything like that happens, Mm -hmm. do exactly what that waitress did. Absolutely. Absolutely. But thank you all for listening to Have You Heard About This Case. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram at Have You Heard About This Case Pod, on TikTok at H-Y-H-A-T-C, or you can email us at have you heard about this case at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.